You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Christy Robinson, and I have been attending Hope for 11 years. I have the joy of serving in Hope Kids as well as Faith in Action Puppet Ministry. Will you please stand for today's reading? Our passage today is Judges 3, verses 7 through 9. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. This is the word of the Lord. Seated. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you. Excited about the book of Judges again together with you this morning. So, Christy, thank you so much for your reading. Um, as you can see, we, it's, we, we have raised the pay for everybody, all our lectors, because of the names that are in the book of Judges, right? Actually, we don't pay them, but, you know, we should for these crazy names that you will find in here. So today, part four of our series, Othniel, the son of Canaz, the first judge. And so I wanted to just jump right into our study <clears throat> this morning so we can sort of uh, flesh all this out. These are 11 verses, but there's a powerful amount of information for you and I that speaks to us in a very relevant way in these 11 verses together. So let me go back and read verses 1 and 2 as we begin our study. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left. And I underline that because I think it's very interesting that it doesn't say that uh, Israel left them, but it says the Lord left them to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel, who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. So this is about the merciful and relentless will of God. Just those two verses kind of puts your ears on edge as we have explained in the past, as we talk through the book of Judges together, that there are things in these scriptures that we will talk about that has us to go, hmm, about God. We kind of struggle about a God that would teach people to war as well. And, and, and when we take these out of context, what we get is a somewhat of a twisted and unrealistic view of who God is and how God works in the world today. So let me try to frame this for you as we talk about the merciful and relentless will of God. So it starts by saying that now these are the nations that the Lord left. I underline that again. The Lord left to test Israel by them. A little context for a moment. Joshua has died. It's how the book of Judges starts out. He has died. He doesn't leave a successor. When Moses died, he left Joshua. When Joshua dies, he does not leave anyone. So Israel embarks on this journey of 340 years without any national leader. Joshua has led them into the promised land, fulfilling the promise of Genesis chapter 15 to the nation of Israel. And so they find themselves in the promised land, but there's some unfinished business. And that is in the promised land are also living some idol-worshiping nations, the Canaanites and all the other group that's, you know, ends with it as well, all that whole group. And so God speaks to Israel 
in Judges chapter 1, and he tells them to drive all of those nations out of the land of Canaan. So what Israel does and does not do, one, is that they formulate their own plan. What they don't do is they don't trust God. Is exactly what they do. They don't trust God for God to empower them enough to drive these people out of their land. And so they enslave them. They learn to live with them. And I think that's an important thought as well. And when they learn to live with them, they can't keep their worship separated from that of all of these other nations. So their gods infiltrate into the worship life of Israel. Israel never denies God. It's the plurality of their worship system. They never deny God, the true God, but yet they incorporate other gods into their worship as well as the true God. And so when I read this and I I come to that point where the Lord left them, then I wrote this in my journal this week that God will not do what he called them to do. God will not do what he called them to do. And I think that's a very interesting thought as it applies to my life and your life. We use this statement in our theological position around here a lot. And that is that we believe in God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. That There is a difference between the sovereignty of God or there is a correlation between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. So what that says to me is this. One, that we establish the fact that God is totally sovereign, controls all things, that in him we live, move, and have our being. But then also there is a way that we respond to God as well. So what that says is that my spiritual growth is not just for me hanging out and not responding to God the way I should, but there is a role that I play in all of this. And I think it's very interesting that what God called Israel to do then he would not do himself. It's not because he can't, because he's sovereign. It's not because he didn't have the ability to drive these people out. It's that God called Israel to trust him, even after God strengthens them at the end of chapter one of the book of Judges. So God leaves the Canaanites in place, along with all the other nations as well, to test Israel. Why is God doing this? Well, it's to bring them back to his initial plan and his initial purpose for their lives. It's how God works. Is that is leaving the Canaanites was an act of mercy and love on God's part. And I think we struggle with that picture of God, don't we? That God takes the Canaanites and he uses them in the life of Israel to bring them back to a relationship with him. It's painful. Yes, it is. God will use painful things in our life to restore a relationship with him. Can you say amen? Do you really believe that? Yeah. So turn to your neighbor this morning, who you've already met, and say to them, God uses painful moments in my life. Say that to them. Now, if that person sitting next to you is the pain in your life, this is not a good time to say that to them, right? Pain in the neck, pain in the whatever. Correct? Yes. Yes, it's not. God uses painful moments in our life. He does. To bring us back to a relationship with him. And I know that that is not popular theology. I understand that. I I really do. I don't like it either. But yet it is truth that God works many times because this is his relentless will and love for our lives. Yes. So verse 2 says this. It was only in order that the generations, and I think this is, 
this is fabulous. This verse, it's astounding to me that it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. Because remember, Israel had forgotten who they were and what they were called to do. Who are they? They're God's promised people given a promised land. What did God call them to do? God called them to drive the idol worshiping nations out of the promised land that was theirs. So they forget who they are and what they are called to do because of the influence of the world they surrounded them with because they have what? They have accommodated the idol worshiping nations in the promised land that was given to them. It's a powerful thought. So God says, here's the thing. You haven't been doing what you're supposed to be doing, that you're supposed to be warriors. So I'm going to teach you how to war again by leaving these pesky Canaanites there to be a pain in your neck throughout all these years that you're going to live with them. And at some point, they're going to make their move on you and you're going to get tired of finding yourself again in captivity and you're going to make war because I'm going to teach you to do that. See, God loves you enough. I think this is amazing. God loves you enough to allow you to experience some pain in your life so that he can bring you back to the will that God initially set for your life. You see, when we look at these verses, we realize that Israel has stepped out of the will of God because they've accommodated the enemy that God told them not to. And now they're worshiping their idols. And this gets worse as we read through this text. And so what we understand is not changed in all of this is the will of God. Isn't that amazing? That even though Israel changed, even though Israel is disobedient to God, it does not change the will of God. And I think there's some great hope in all of that, that God does not give up on you and I understand him. When we are disobedient, when we lose our way, when we forget who we are or what God has called us to do as followers of Christ, God does not give up on us. His will, his purpose, his plan for our life still remains intact and God will use those means necessary to bring us back to him. It's a powerful thought about the great love and the mercy of God. So what did God call Israel to do? God had not called Israel to be a nation. God had called them to be a nation of warriors. Yes, and not good neighbors with the enemy. So God has a plan. He leaves the oppressors in their land to teach them more. Why? Because God is about to raise up the first judge, Othniel. Othniel, he's going to raise him up and Othniel is going to, he's going to form an army inside of Israel and Israel is going to rise up and they're going to conquer these idol worshiping nations is what they're going to do. So God has to train them in order to, to bring his will about because God works through people. And, and I looked at this and I want to say to you that if you've ever had the idea that life is random, That life is just a series or a collection of events that sort of randomly come together for you. Then I want you to read the book of Judges again or reread these 11 verses and sit in them for a while and contemplate what God is doing. You can see God's hand working through all of this. Even in the moments of their disobedience, you see that God has a plan and God's plan does not change. It doesn't change because he loves us. So he allows them to be surrounded by 
these nations in order for them to learn to war because he's about to raise up the first judge. Verse four. And they were for the testing of Israel to know whether God would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Two things God is doing here before we move on to the next thought. That God is testing Israel to see if they will obey him. He's testing them. Why? Because a test forces us to become disciplined and grow. A test forces us to become disciplined and grow. So think about your academics or think about when you were in school at one time. What if you had a class that there was no exam, right? If there's no exam, then, oh, well, I'm just going to depend on my really good will to learn all these, you know, things that I'm supposed to learn from the textbook. And, and, you know, and I can be trusted. No, no, your humanity is going to take the easy way out is what's going to happen. It's exactly what's going to take place. But what a test does in our life, it forces us to become disciplined and grow. Because without a test, we do not apply ourselves. This is exactly what God is doing in the life of Israel. He leaves these Canaanite nations in their midst so they become an instrument that God uses to bring them back to him. He does the same thing in our life. He does. He does the very same thing in my life and your life. The second thing he does, God left Israel's enemies in place to develop their dependency on him. Yes. You see, God is not, I I look at this and I realize that they, they, when they trust, when everything was going well, they trust God, right? When everything is going wonderful, they're trusting God and everything is really good. But when they find themselves in captivity, then they start crying out to God, as we read earlier, is what they did. And so if they can coexist with the Canaanites, well, they don't need God. But when they realize that they become the prisoners of the Canaanites, then they need God at that moment. Because what I realize is this, sin never accommodates us. We always end up accommodating sin. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want to go back to this. That when you think you've gone too far. When you think that you have walked away from God. You've gone too far in in that of a, a deficit in your relationship with God. Look at these verses. God is still working. That's amazing, isn't it? God is still powerfully working. Is what these verses Tell you and I, he's still working. He's not changed his mind about you. He's not changed his mind about the purpose for your life or the promise for your life. That he is relentless in his love for you. Let that sink in for a moment. You gotta let that get deep into your heart this morning about God. Verse five. So the people of the Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites. But look at this verse. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives. And their own daughters they gave to their sons. And they served their idols. So here's another thought. You can't sleep with the enemy and walk with God. Right? I think that's something to think about for a moment. Because what we see in Israel, this is an accommodation on Israel's part. Is what this is. To that of the the pagans surrounding them. It's not a sin based on, on ethnicity. It's a Sin based upon worship. Israel accommodates all of these idol worshiping nations that live with him in Canaan. Because the, the truth is this. If you live close to your sin long enough, you end up marrying it. You end up being connected to it. You end up finding yourself connected to something in life that you never thought you would ever be connected to. 
The Puritan theologian John Owen says this, and I quote this. It says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. That's the truth, right? Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Tim Keller, in his writings about the book of Judges, says that commitment is replaced by complacency and then compromise. Here's Israel. They forget who they are. They forget what they're called to do. They become complacent in their own life. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes. And they find themselves in a place of compromise. They look at the Canaanites and say, man, those Canaanite girls, they don't look too bad, do they, right? Yes. And then the Canaanite guys are looking over here at the Israelite girls and they're thinking, man, those Israelite girls, they don't look too bad, do they? And we're already here. So let's make the best out of a worse situation, a bad situation, because here's the thought. Commitment in my life, in your life, erodes gradually. The enemy, it's the way the enemy works. He has to work that way because if not, then you and I would resist it if it was instantaneous. It would. So the thought is this. You don't sleep with the enemy at first. You have coffee with the enemy. Mark, does coffee lead to sin? If it does, I'm in trouble, right? No, no. We served you a nice cup of warm sin in the lobby this morning, didn't we? Yeah, yes. No, you understand what I'm saying, right? You open yourself up for that moment, that one time. Oh, we can live with them. Yeah, that's okay. Everything is going to be good. The Canaanites are stubborn folks. They don't want to leave. We don't want to kill them all. So you know what? We'll just have coffee with them every day. Yes. Then all of a sudden, oh, you know why we're having coffee? Why not visit their church? We go to church with them one day, right? Oh, that's okay, you know. All of a sudden, you're sitting in their church, and you look over, and there's this Canaanite girl over there, and you're an Israelite boy. Oh, she looks pretty nice. Let me have her out for coffee. Then next thing you know, there are wedding bells, and you're connected to something in your life that you never thought you would ever be connected in. Wow. I could take the next half hour and make a list of all of those things for you. But I'm not going to do that because you know that. You understand, I think, what I'm saying. And you can fill in the blanks this morning. So verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? They forgot who they were and what they were called to do. And they forgot the Lord their God. And they served the Baals and the Asheroth. These are idols that they served. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of. Now, this is a name that you probably don't want to ever name your child, right? It's Kushan Rashahim. It's Kushan Rashahim. And, and, you know, it's not like, you know what? If I'm going to have another son, he's going to be Kushan Rashahim. No, that's not what you want to do because he is the king of Mesopotamia. It's, it's not, he's not a nice guy, right? And the people of the Israel served him. Eight years is what the scripture says. You see, look at this. It's a process. I I, I pray today that you become wiser than ever before to the tactics of the enemy in your life. That if there is anything that is blinding you from seeing how the devil works in your life, that you see that today, that this is a process 
where there is a lack of intentionality on your part to serve God, where you have said, I'm just going to kind of, you know, I love God and I know who he is. This is Israel, right? And, and I'm going to come to church on Sunday mornings. But you know what? To push this thing, I'm not going to really do I'm going to kind of go with the flow. Then this is a life that lacks intentionality. And if you lack intentionality in your life when it comes to your spiritual life with God, the default will be that you end up marrying idol worshipers. Hmm. Mark, you just described my marriage. No, that was not my intention, okay? That was not it at all. No. Do you, do you understand the imagery that is being used here? We're worshiping their gods. We might as well become part of their family. And you're moving with the flow of life. It's the digression of your life spiritually when you lack a spiritual plan. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. So what's your spiritual plan for your life? How are you, how are you dealing with your prayer life? How are you dealing with your devotional life, your reading of scripture? How are you dealing with the areas of service and generosity within your life? How are you being discipled and are you making disciples? This is serious business. It is. Yes. It's why we as a church made a decision years ago and we've seen this come to pass that we moved Pastor Matthew from that of being our next generation pastor to be our discipleship pastor because we're serious about this because we understand the, the work and the lies and deceit of the enemy and that is if you just go along in your life with God just flowing how things kind of come about every day and you're just going to react when something is going comes about that's disturbing in your life and you don't have a real spiritual plan, then I want to tell you, you're going to end up married to an idol worshiper. It's not long before Pastor Matthew is going to be doing this thing called Four Chairs. Look on our, our website and, and go there and sign up for that, for that class with him. It's amazing. It's about being intentional. It's about being intentional. It's about how you are intentional in becoming a disciple and how you build other disciples as well. So Mark, so what is this? Let me say this to you before I read to you from the book of Ephesians because I want to give you sort of a, uh, a New Testament mirror of this and then, then we'll move on. But yet, I want to go back to what Tim Keller said. Commitment is replaced by complacency and then compromise. But I want to add one more C word to the end of that if it's okay, and that is captivity. That eventually it leads you into captivity. Commitment is replaced complacency, compromise, and you end up being a captive to the sin that you never thought you would be captive to. So what do I do? It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. What it literally says is this to you and I. Walk carefully and how... Watch carefully in how you walk. It's an intentionality. It, it is that of a close intention or attention or accuracy or that of a target or concentrating. That you're attentive to how you walk and live in this life when it comes to your walk with God. Because the target is that of pleasing God and God's life and purpose for you this morning. In fact, verse 15 says that you are to look and you are to walk and you are to think. It's more than just your spirit, but it's your mind. How aware are you of where you are spiritually this morning? 
is what he's saying. Pay careful attention to those things. He's saying make the best of the use of the time because the days are evil. It's being intentional in every opportunity that you have in life. Why? Because the tempo and the rhythm of the world that you and I live in are not in line with God's purposes for your life. Yes, the world has different values. The world has a different agenda, a different priority. And the world's desire is to simply marry you to that agenda for you to be in relationship with that agenda of the world. And if I have not set my life, if I have set my life on the world's agenda, then I find myself sleeping with the enemy. Man. If we had to do one more service, I wouldn't have a voice left. I mean, there's not much left right now. Yes. I, I've been reading a book, it's an autobiography of Eugene Patterson, Peterson. And um, it's called Fire in My Bones. And, and that's, that's what I feel. I feel that this is fire in my bones. And, and man, I've got so much more to say, but I, I know because I've been there. I, I, I've lived my spiritual life where it was just, well, I'm just going to take every day, you know, for what it is. And if I survive today, if I can just like fill in that blank that I didn't do this today, then I'm good, right? And everything's good about my spiritual life. But I have to go back to this question. Am I killing sin or is sin killing me? Am I killing sin or is sin killing me? Because if you're not being intentional about your prayer life, about your devotional life, about your your life of generosity and service, if you're not being intentional about those rhythms in your life, about resting in God, about that of God strengthening you during those times of resting in him, if you're not being intentional in all those areas of of your life, then I want to tell you, you're going to find yourself in a place where you never thought you would be. Wow. Hmm. So my, my stepdad was a pastor. Any pastor's kids in here? Anybody? Any pastor's? Anybody? Want, you want to admit it? Okay, some of you are afraid to admit it. Some of you are like, I don't know. Were they a pastor or preacher? Any preacher kids then? You got any? Yeah, whatever. Okay, good. Terrific. Good. Good. Uh, any kids of a father in here? Anybody? Any kids of a father? Okay. That was a trick question. I just want to make sure you're, you're still with me. Yeah, you had to have one of those. So, you know, um, science is trying to work its way around that, but I guess, I don't know. That's another sermon, isn't it? Yeah, it won't go there. So I found myself, I'm, I'm away from my notes. Those of you up in production, you're just in trouble now. But, uh, you know, uh, I found myself growing up in that kind of environment, church all the time. I mean, let's just be honest. I was sick of church Church, church, church all the time. And, and I found myself with a church relationship, but devoid of an intentional relationship with God. You ever been there? And I thought that 
because I still believed in God and loved God. And I understood some scriptures from Sunday school and other things that, that I was okay. It was, it was good. You know, I was, I was safe. I was fine. What I didn't realize is the trick of the enemy is that the further I moved away from that, like Israel moving away from the death of Joshua, I forgot who I was and what I was called to. And so I found myself later in life attached to things that I never thought I would be attached to. So this is why this is fire in my bones today. This is why I'm willing to rip out my voice for you this morning and sound like a frog tomorrow for Reba, I guess, right? Or this afternoon is because I understand. But see, here, here's the danger. That self-deceit is the greatest of all deceits because you don't know that you're deceived. And what I realize is that I was deceived in thinking that it was okay where I was. I was fine. But what I didn't realize was that it was the enemy working in my life gradually day after day to where I found myself connected to things that I never thought I would be connected to. You see, this is serious this morning. This is why the book of Judges is so relevant for you and I today. Because Israel is the nation that saw God do miraculous things in the wilderness. It's the nation that saw Moses lead over a million Hebrews out of Egyptian captivity. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw all the, they, they had no doubt of the majesty and the power of God. They had seen it firsthand. They had experienced God's redemptive work in, in a very physical and a tangible way. Yet, they find themselves here disobeying God's command to not drive out the Canaanites to, to that of incorporating their gods into their worship to that of now marrying into their families. And all of a sudden you find yourself connected to something you never dreamed that you would be connected to. None of that was in my notes. But I believe by the Holy Spirit that that's for somebody in this room. Someone here. That you're in a place that you never saw yourself being. And you've scratched your head and you have said, hmm, how did I get here? And I think these short 11 verses show us how we get to those places in our life. Verse nine. But when the people of Israel called out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Jacob's younger brother. Let me say this to you because I think this is important about what we just talked about, that God is always listening even in the moments we get it wrong. 
because I think to talk about all those things about intentionality and, and all the, about the spiritual rhythms of our life tend to cause us to hear the, the beeping sound of the guilt dump truck backing up to our life and just unloading everything upon us. And what I realize is this, that God is always listening even in the moments that we get it wrong. Even in those moments... You see, after eight years of oppression, they're crying out to God. What does God do? God raises up Othniel, this this heroic leader. He's a good man. He's the brother of Caleb, one of the two spies that returned from the promised land to report to Moses with a positive report. He has has good good stock. He really really does. And it says that is he who saved them. It's the image of how God worked through Othniel. It is the work of God, but God chose to use people. Why? Because God was determined that he was not going to do what he had called Israel to do. Because there is a place in my life, in your life, in my growth, in your growth with God, that there's things I have to do. And that is in being intentional with God. That's having an intentionality with my spiritual life with him. Because God loves me enough to even use these broken moments of my life, as painful as they are, to bring me back to him. And that's what he did for me. And that's what he will do for you. Verse 10, as we wrap this up this morning. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel and he went out to war. And the Lord gave Kishan Rashtahim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. For I call this not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit and It's a text that we find from the book of Zechariah. But what Othniel does, and I want to point this out to you before we pray this morning, that Othniel does is that that he, he is used by God for 40 years in the life of Israel, for 40 years. But the spirit of God that comes upon him, that was upon him, was not just for him to take them into battle. It was more than that. But it was these 40 years, because we're going to read verse 11, and it says that the land was in rest. So God uses him. The spirit of God is upon him for 40 years. So what I'm going to say to you is powerful, I think, not because I say it, because of what God reveals to you to us in here is that all the things we've talked about of intentionality and all these things about your spiritual life and your walk with God, you feel like that all of a sudden it's all your responsibility. It's all on your shoulders. And that's why God puts this in this verse. The spirit of the Lord was upon him because it is God. It is God's faithfulness in your life. Understand that it is not your faithfulness because our faithfulness is simply bathed in brokenness and broken promises. But it is God in these moments of our life that strengthens you and I to get up every day and to be intentional about our walk with him. It's him. It's the spirit of God on us. You see, in the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord fell upon one leader, Othniel, and he led Israel. But in the New Testament, for you and I, it falls on all of us. The spirit rests on all of us today. So God empowers all of us to live intentionally for for him. It's Ephesians 5 and 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I believe this is the mirror of this Old Testament verse is what this is, to be filled with the Spirit. It's not something that comes 
in, in our humanity. It's something that God does. It's very supernatural work of God. It's that of the controlling Holy Spirit over our lives. It's how God controls us every day. In fact, the word being filled with the Spirit is the same word for that of pressure or wind. It's like the wind that pushes the sail of a ship. It's what pushes you through your days. It's what has influence upon your life. And so what are you allowing to influence your life? What controls you? Because that really determines in your walk with God how you're going to prevent from being attached to things that you never thought you'd be attached to. Verse 11. This is where we end today. So the land had rest 40 years. I stopped there for a moment because I thought that if I were to write this, right? If I were God, don't tell me you've never had the thought if you were God, right? If I were, if I were God, we'd have probably fried a whole bunch of people right, by now, but, but we're not. But if I were to write this, I would have not used the word rest. I would have used the word peace. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. But it's important that we understand why the writer Samuel uses the word rest. Because it's the Hebrew word for secure is what it is. Our security. That what I realize is that Israel is only secure in the work of God. And they're only secure in the work of God when they are walking with him and they are worshiping him. And that security in their life is not based upon their faithfulness. Absolutely not. It's very, very clear that rescue and redemption and security is brought to them through a chosen redeemer, Othniel, here in Judges chapter 1. So, Mark, where does that leave us today? That leaves you and I with even a greater promise, and that is that The father sent his son, the ultimate judge, as a security for you and I, so that in the moments that we don't get it right, Jesus eternally got it right for us. That when there are moments when we fail, and we find ourselves connected to things that we never thought we'd be connected to, that God doesn't give up on us. Because his forgiveness and his promises are secure. Because of Jesus. But the verse here doesn't end with rest, it ends with death. It says, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And I thought that was an interesting way to end these 11 verses. Because after he dies, Israel returns to their wickedness, even worse, it says. But here's the greater promise, and that's why I use that term for you and I. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and verse 17, our last verse for today. 
John the Revelator says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, be secure, rest, that I am the first and the last, the living one, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Our heroic leader, the great and ultimate judge Jesus, never leaves us. And he defeated the enemy that Othniel could not defeat on our behalf, and that was death. So I ask you this morning, how intentional are you in your walk with God? Well, I love God, Mark. No, no, that's, that's not what I ask. I'm, I'm not questioning that. The text is not necessarily challenging us in that area. Israel never denied God. They just mixed other gods in with their worship. But my question is, then what are you intentionally doing to grow in God so that at some time down the road you don't find yourself attached to something that you never thought you'd be attached to. Mark, you just kind of dumped all this on us. It's just all our responsibility. No, that's why we ended with, with this, these last two verses, especially, I think it's verse 10. It talks about the spirit of God in Othniel because we know this is a work of God in our life. But, but we do believe in God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. So how are you responding to God? Are you surrendering to him? Are you confessing to God? Are you being honest with God as we talked about last week? And saying, God, here are the areas. give them to you. So God, here's the areas that I failed in my intentional walk with you, Lord. And God, you know, I struggle with these areas of my life. So I need your spirit. I need you to help me. Father. Because I think you have to ask the, answer the question. Are you killing sin or is sin killing you? can only say that you're killing sin if you are intentional in your walk with God. So can I pray with you for a moment? If you take a posture of prayer, those of you that are joining us online, if you would pray with us as well. And let's talk to God for a minute together. Father, here we are as your children. God, you You've given us scripture so we see ourselves in scripture. And God, we see ourselves powerfully in the book of Judges chapter three this morning. God, we see how easy it is for us to live a life of complacency, which erodes our commitment and we end up in compromise and at some point captive. So God,
we reject the lie of the enemy, we just believe for our eyes to be open today as to where we are in our walk with you. God, we realize that not one of us in this room will ever grow in you accidentally. So God, it takes our intentionality today. Because God, we realize the world has an agenda and the idea and the plan of the world, God, you have warned us about this, is to connect us to that agenda. So God, today, may there become a a spirit of intentionality over our lives about our walk with you. That God, that we don't just look at our prayer life as something we do because there's time in our schedule, but we look at our prayer life as something we get to do and it is our schedule. That of our devotional life, of our generosity and our service to others of our discipleship and making disciples. Because God, if not, then we wake up one morning and we find ourselves sleeping with the enemy. So speak to us, Lord. Challenge us where we are today. We give you praise. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.